actually an RD, but I, I do, yeah. But that's just, uh, I feel like that happens to me all the time. Um, every year I have a student that asks me what year I am. And uh, I am not a year, I, uh, I've graduated many years ago. And that's why I have the beard to hopefully make me look a little older uh, because I look young. Uh, well, good morning. It is really a privilege and a joy to be able to talk to each of you today. I've been wrestling through what topic to speak on. And honestly, I wanted something that was encouraging, something that was uplifting, where you could go back to the Great Hall or your dorm room and just be like, you know, what, an, what a great message, encouraging, um, let's be happy and smile. Uh, however, that's not really what God wanted me to speak on. God, rather, uh, I feel, has asked me to speak on rebuke. And so uh, people keep asking me, like, am I excited? And I'm like, as much as you can be to talk about rebuke, I guess. Uh, so we're going to talk about rebuke and correction and forgiveness, the easy stuff, the things that we're all professionals at. Uh, I've told a few people that if I ever spoke in chapel, I would speak on confrontation because my time here at Covenant, it is, I think, the thing that we as a student body struggle with the most. I really feel that we are bad at confrontation. And you could say as an RD that I am slightly more accustomed to maybe conflict or drama. And by slightly more accustomed, I mean that I am way more accustomed and I deal with conflict and drama all day. But in my time here at Covenant, I, I've learned that we really do struggle with that. And I, I cannot stand by and watch us as brothers and sisters in Christ fail to hold each other accountable, fail to call out sin, and accept discipleship on this campus as merely patting each other on the back and saying, try harder and never rebuking and never correcting in love. The root of discipleship is, after all, discipline, and Christ has called you and I to tough love. So let's begin by looking at a text that I think you're all probably very familiar with, and that is Matthew chapter 18. We're only going to look at two verses today. Verse 15 says, <clears throat> If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained or you have won your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Let me pray. Father, again, thank you for this time. Lord, may the words that I speak be your words and not my own. Lord, may the Holy Spirit um, challenge, convict, and draw people closer to you. In Christ's name I pray. Let me just give a caveat before we dive into what does rebuke look like and how do we know when rebuke is necessary. After all, I think these are the two most important questions. Like, what, what does it look like to rebuke and when are we supposed to do this? Stephen Cole, who is an author and a pastor at Flagstaff Christian Fellowship, has a practical comment on the delicate practice of rebuke. He says, Quote, the command to rebuke, which is to strongly disapprove of sin, and this may include a stern warning or a reprimand. He said, the command to rebuke a sinning brother is the first step in the restoration process. You are not dealing with him biblically until you do it. This does not mean that we are to go around rebuking uh, others for every minor offense. Often, both in the church and in our families, we should act with all humility and gentleness 
with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. 1 Peter 4a also says, love covers a multitude of sins. Thus, much of the time, we should simply absorb the offenses and pray for the offender, that he will grow up in the Lord and learn to be more sensitive to others. God has shown us grace, and we must show grace to others. It's just really important to know that, that grace and forgiveness are, are first and foremost our priority, but rebuke sometimes is necessary. Step one, we're only going to look at two today. Step one is if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. So step one is to go to the individual privately. In this first step, we're going to look at the problem, a person, and lastly, a purpose. That is my previous pastor experience coming in. I like to have alliterations. Uh, the problem is sin. It says if your brother sins against you. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is that the words against you in this text are actually missing from the earliest manuscripts, some of our best manuscripts. And so what that tells me, and based on other scripture passages, is that we could just read this as, if your brother sins, go to them. This is all believers within your realm, all of your Christian friends. This is not just your best friend that you are required to potentially rebuke. This is not just somebody that directly sins against you. This is everybody within your circle. We are responsible to hold each other accountable. Perhaps it's a one-time occasion. Perhaps it is a sin that this person is not even aware of and may hurt you. But certainly, as we look at Matthew 18, verse 15, we're talking about a lifestyle of sin. So the problem is sin, perhaps against you, perhaps a one-time event, but certainly sin here refers to a lifestyle, a series of wrongdoings. This is the problem. Let's look at the person. The person says your brother or sister. This is a Christian that you have a relationship with. Okay, always someone who has professed Christ. You do not ever rebuke or correct an unbeliever. Why do we not rebuke unbelievers? Because re unbelievers don't know any better. They do not have the Holy Spirit residing within them. The only thing that you should share with an unbeliever is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is sin. The person is any Christian within your circle. The Holman New Testament commentary says, the relationship between two brothers also implies that there is prior history between the two, through which a spirit of trust and acceptance has developed. Therefore, effective church discipline requires an investment before our first step. Our successful involvement in the Father's pursuit of a straying brother depends on our prior investment in the relationship. Listen, rebuke and confrontation are always relational. Always. You've heard the old adage, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that is true. Typically, a confrontation that ends well, or rebuke that ends well, centers around this fact. The person knows that you care about them. They know that you love them. If you can show that you aren't confronting to get even or be right or to be better than them, but instead because you love them, you will always have a more receptive audience. Always. Listen, the condition of rebuke often has more weight than the content of rebuke. The condition of rebuke often has more weight than the content. What I mean by that is how you approach somebody in confrontation and your attitude toward them often has more than what you actually say. Think about your own life when somebody has confronted you and it went well. 
it's typically because you knew that they cared about you. They weren't just calling you out for the sake of calling out. They were calling you out because they were holding you to a higher standard and because they loved you. The condition of rebuke often has more weight than the content. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to be speaking the truth in love. We must always check our hearts. And speaking the truth in love, this, this is a verb that's actually difficult to translate into English. It literally means truthing in love. We're to be truthing in love. Speaking the truth pictures the right doctrine, in love pictures the right spirit or attitude. It's really important that we have the right doctrine and the right attitude if we have to confront a sinning brother or sister in Christ. Listen, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. It is so important that we hold each other to accountability, that we speak truth, but we also speak it in love. Sometimes we do, we do one or the other. We speak the truth, but we're too blunt, we're too hard, and the person feels that we don't care about them. Other times we have love and we care for somebody, but we're not willing to confront them. We're not willing to speak the truth. And we allow them to go down a path because we do not love them enough to confront them. We need to speak the truth in love. Let's look at now the purpose of rebuke. What is the purpose? Well, the end goal of rebuke is always restoration, period. If you listen, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Our priority should not be to rebuke the person as much as it should be to rebuke the sin, if that makes sense. We aren't trying to make the person feel conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We aren't trying to judge the person. That is God the Father's job. We are simply rebuking so that we may win our brother or our sister back in Christ. The whole point of Matthew 18 is restoration. If you miss this, you miss everything. If your goal is not restoration, do not go to that person. If you cannot go with a heart that genuinely seeks for their good and for restoration, don't go at all. Sit back, remain, and pray about it until you can go with the right attitude. The word listen means to respond properly. It's not that somebody's just willing to sit down with you, but it, it means that they respond properly. If he listens, you have won your brother or won your sister. We need to be going with the idea of winning your sister in Christ, not winning an argument. You may win an argument and lose a friend. We have to be holding each other accountable. That word win is the same word gain. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, just as it's important to win the loss, it's important to win the save. Paul talks about, I become these things. I, I become under the law so that I might win those under the law. I become this. I become a slave so that I might win the slave. Just as it's important to win the loss, it's important to win a straying brother or sister in Christ. It is so important that we do this. Let me quickly speak on those of you who have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of mercy and you hate this. This is not your thing. This is where you really struggle. I think really, if we're honest, probably all of us struggle at this. But this does not mean that we're off the hook. This is a command from God. Proverbs 27.5 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. I would rather have somebody be honest with me and confront me than to talk about me behind my back or to not address me. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Many people will never change or turn from their sin if there is never any discomfort. If 
people are unwilling to confront or just accept habitual sin, our friends may always remain in it. So this is step one. If step one does not prove to be successful, then we jump to step two. <clears throat> and that is verse 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Step two is to go with a small group. And there are many benefits of going with one or two people. There is more counsel. There is more accountability. There's different viewpoints. Sometimes you may have an issue with somebody, and you may have blind spots, right? You don't really understand the wrong that you are giving. You always add to the problem, by the way. And so you have this issue, and you confront them with one or two people. There's more accountability and, if necessary, more witnesses to the conversation. But please be careful in this step. Please we must protect against gossip. If you choose not to address the offense, then you are therefore choosing to remain silent. Gossip is not an option. I don't struggle with gossip so much that I share other people's problems and sins, although I do struggle with listening to people. I don't share, but I'll be willing to listen. If somebody comes to me, I'll say, that's interesting, you know, and I won't stop them. That's where I struggle. Frankly, as Christians, if someone comes to you with gossip, you have to put a stop to it. You should say, look, I love you, I care about you, but I don't need to know this. I, so often I have people come to me and they tell me their problems, and I'm like, have you talked to her? Have you addressed it with him? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, there's your problem. You need to go directly to them. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. I mean, just last week I was talking with my brother, and he mentioned a friend from high school. And he's telling me about this friend that uh, I guess I probably would have known. And he says, we met up, and this, this guy was actually bragging about himself the entire conversation. He was just talking about how well he's doing, how much money he makes, et cetera. And so what do I naturally do is say, like, cool, who is it? And I love how my brother responded. He said, I'm not telling you that. That's gossip. And I was like, yeah. I'm actually speaking on gossip. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Like, I, I have a problem. We have a problem on this campus of talking about other people and not addressing the person. The sad reality is too often the whole community of people know about your grievance toward Joe, but he doesn't even know it. Or you're mad at Karen and you tell four or five friends or your hall knows about it and she doesn't know what's going on. That's a problem. We need to go directly to the person. And if we do that and it doesn't work, then we bring one or two others with us. But here's how you kind of do this. Um, you may be thinking that, like, well, what about sharing or getting counsel with somebody? Like, isn't that important? I just want to go talk to somebody about it before I confront them. I would say be very careful with this. If you do this, go to a third party. If you choose to go to a mentor or a mutual friend, then maybe talk about the issue, but don't mention the person's name. I know that may seem extreme, but that is gossip. If you're going and talking about people before you've confronted them, you need to get, give the issue and get a commitment before somebody actually decides to go with you. And this, this others is one or two, it implies mature Christian friends who are going to hold that issue tactfully. This is the only time that you go to others about something else. If you cannot, if, if, if you go to somebody and say, look, I need help, and they cannot commit to go with you without listening first, then you say, I'm sorry. 
Like, actually, I, just, I need you to commit or I can tell you, but I can't share the name, and I, I need you to come with me. And if they can't do that, then we need to just drop the issue or go find somebody else to help us. I know this seems extreme, but we do have a problem on this campus with that. Another question you may be asking besides, like, seeking counsel, what does that look like, is what do I do if somebody sins in public? So you're with a group of people, and uh, somebody says something very offensive. Like, how do you know when to address that issue? Well, first, let me just say, I think we are to make every effort to avoid humiliation. <laughs> That's really important, public or private. Yet there are times when confronting someone in the act is best. Galatians 2, we have the example of Paul openly rebuking Peter. This was not an attack on Peter. It was a defense of the gospel. And so here's my answer to public rebuke or public correction. I love what Augustine says. This is my answer. Augustine, commenting on Paul's rebuke of Peter, said, It is not advantageous to correct in secret an error which injured openly. It is not advantageous to correct in secret an error which injured openly. And so use wisdom. The Holy Spirit will help you in this. But don't ignore issues as they come about. It's hard, I know, in the moment to know exactly what to say. It's even worse, you know, when we not only ignore the issue, but we ignore the person. That is typically our response here and in our culture is if somebody offends us or somebody is living a sin, a lifestyle sin, instead of confronting them, what we do is we just avoid them. We just remove them from our life. We see them in the hallway and we just walk past them. We don't talk to them again. And we know that they are headed down a path that is destructive. That is not how we are supposed to do this. That is not part of the process, as Matthew 18. Sadly, that's where we are in our culture today. Stephen Cole says, people would sooner walk away from a strained relationship than to give biblical rebuke to a person who is sinning against them or against us. So a Christian offends us and we just avoid them. A friend is destructive to be around, so we just avoid them. And we think that that's the correct step. That is not the correct step. Not too long ago, I actually had to rebuke a friend of mine. <clears throat> my friend was heavily addicted to drugs. And honestly, probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Uh, but I confronted him one-on-one. -on -one. I took the Matthew 18 approach. I met with him, and he denied it. So it was really difficult because I was like, I don't know what to do now because I'm almost 100% like, sure that he is on drugs, and he denies it. Well, what I did, and I, that didn't work, so I went to step two, and I brought in a family member of his and a friend of mine, and we sat down with him and uh, told him, like, hey, we believe <clears throat> or we know that you are still on drugs. And we confronted him, and again, he denied it. And so we won't be able to go into the next steps in verse 17 and 18, but essentially what I had to do is I had to excommunicate him from my life. This is one of my closest friends. This is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. I had to say, I cannot be around you because you're lying, you're on drugs, you're headed down a path that is destroying you, destroying your family, destroying your relationships. And I had to tell them, like, I love you to death, but I cannot be around you while you're choosing drugs over God in your friendships and your family. And this was about a year and a half ago. And... <coughs> I'll never forget, this was actually just a year and about two weeks ago, he called me. I was actually heading to spring break. And he called me and he said, Daniel, I want you to know that I'm checking myself into rehab. I'm getting better. I'm going to get help. It's been too long. And he said, Daniel, 
will you come back into my life? And it broke my heart. It was so hard for me to have to move away from him for a season. But he knew that that was necessary, as we talked later. That I did it because I loved him. I confronted him because I loved him and I cared about him. And as we kind of close, you may still be asking the question, why try so hard for restoration? There's so many people in my life, I just can't do this. I can't confront people. I'm too timid. Why, why do we try so hard for restoration? Because it is the heart of God. God desires his children to be restored, and he's counting on you. He's counting on me to help in that process. Might I be so bold to say that God is rarely more pleased than when someone confesses and forsakes sin. I think the only act that's better than that is obedience in the first place. God is always pleased and always willing to forgive. Remember that much of the time we should simply absorb offenses and pray for the offender, right? God has shown us grace. We need to show grace to other people. And so let me close with an illustration. I am not a golfer. I actually kind of hate golf. Um, but this is a good illustration. <laughs> I've been like four times, and uh, it was embarrassing to everybody out there. Um, but if you play golf, you know how important it is to hit the ball on just the right spot of the face of the club. Uh, the newest clubs are a lot more forgiving than old clubs. And so if you have some older clubs, uh, they're just not as forgiving. The new clubs have expanded what is called a sweet spot. Okay, so that is ideally where you want to hit the ball on the face of the club. Now it's possible to hit the ball on the heel or the toe of the club and still get good distance. Previously, though, with older clubs, it wasn't as easy. So the idea of a golf club that has a large and forgiving sweet spot reminds me of how Christians should respond to one another. Instead of being like an old, unforgiving club that requires near-perfect performance, we should be like the new clubs that are generous with the faults of the golfer. We should have a large sweet spot that provides plenty of room to forgive any repentant brother or sister. And so if you confront somebody, they ask you for forgiveness, we need to forgive. We are never more like God than when we forgive the sins of others. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you have a friend that comes to mind that you need to approach. And I think we each have somebody in our life that we have allowed to drift. And we have not confronted them. We have not done what God has commanded us to do. You need to go and talk to that drifting brother or sister in Christ. And maybe out of fear you've just failed to do that. It is time to do that. Maybe you're on the other end, though, and someone has hurt you. They have caused you serious pain. They have said things. They've let you have it. And you are really hurting, and you are holding on to bitterness. Maybe God is calling you to forgive that person, to have that large sweet spot, to be able to let things go. And instead of rebuking, God is calling you to forgive. Let's remember that we are called to restoration, and restoration is at the heart of God. And finally, Covenant College, may we be known as people who forgive each other, but also as people who hold each other accountable to a higher standard. May we not walk away from people in sin without first correcting them. May we continue to speak truth and love. And let's refrain from the evil of gossip. If you care about somebody, you will correct them with love, and you will forgive them with grace. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of my many wrongdoings. Lord, I know that I have offended people, and I pray that people would come to me that I maybe have offended and that they would say, Daniel, you hurt me, and hopefully we can restore that.
Lord, I just pray that we would hold each other to a standard. God, it's hard. It is so hard to rebuke and to correct. But God, you have called us to that, Lord. You have called us to not talk about issues with others until we first address that with the person. So Lord, whoever here needs to confront somebody, they have a friend that maybe is um, just in a lifestyle that is so unhealthy, and out of fear they have not confronted that person. Lord, may you give them the bravery and the courage to do that, and give them the wisdom as they approach a brother or sister in Christ. And Lord, if somebody has been hurt, Lord, may they forgive. Lord, may this campus have restoration. May relationships that have strained and broken be put back together on this campus. We love you and we thank you so much. In Christ's name I pray, amen.